name is Gunner, and I play in an Austin band called The Big Gun Show. I created this podcast to sit down with other songwriters and musicians and artists and lovers of music to talk about their top five records that have inspired their lives and their musical prowess. I said last time that I took a brief pause, and I did, um, a hiatus of sorts, but I'm back. I've really been missing doing this podcast as it not really just I get to be turned on to new music, but also I love hearing why these people and my new friends have chosen these top five records. So as t- season con- two continues, I'm thrilled to have Graham Weber on the show today. He's highly involved with an organization called House of Songs. He plays in a band called Western Youth that I truly love, very rock and roll, and he has a solo thing going on as well. And I was at South by Southwest this year, saw Western Youth, and uh, anyway, I, I started crying because I knew that, that, that my best bud, Yay Tagen, would have loved them, and my drummer. Anyway, he would have loved them. Late in season one, I implemented quizzes into the mix on this podcast, and this is going to continue. And don't matter what I'm going to ask, it's all fun and smiles. And today, yes sir, Graham nailed five for five questions. Good on you, Graham. If you're digging what what we're laying down here, please give us a review on iTunes, Apple. Um, You can find my top five records pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, but just give us one on iTunes, Apple, if you don't mind. Super appreciated. Now let's get to this conversation, but first, close your eyes. You're on that deserted island beach again. What five records do you have? Ladies and gentlemen, today, Graham Weber on the podcast. This is going to be a blast. Hello, Graham. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, I'm stoked to have you here today. Um, you've got some albums here, and I'm thrilled to talk about them. So let's start off, you have Wilco being there, John Coltrane and Johnny Hartman, Tom Waits, Small Change, blew my mind, uh, Bob Dylan Biograph, and um, John Prine Live. Yes, sir. So, i got to ask you, where are you taking these records? Well, in my mind right now, it's going to be on a remote uh beach somewhere that has a probably a record player yeah and just like one output one one electric output yeah some yeah. sort of solar panels uh <laughs> powering that that thing the belt but. right on well let's start off talking about john prine this was a cool i mean I, i've always loved john prine i've read um a book called the armadillo world headquarters mm-hmm. have you read that yeah it's great he talks about john prine Yep. Um, back in the day at, at, at the club. Uh, it was released in 1988. It was taped mostly during a three-day stint at the Coach House, San Capistrano, Cali. It was re- released on Oh Boy Records, his label, and the stories, dude. His stories, they, they're, they're like Ray Wiley Hubbard meets Todd Snyder. Yeah, yeah, I would wonder who's derivative of who in that situation. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, that's the beauty of that. So with, with John Prine, for me, that, I mean, that was, you know, there's a whole story. My, when I was 19, I was living in Oxford, Ohio, and me and a couple guys I lived with were walking back from a party, and we found a, a Case Logic little CD wallet in the street. And, uh, and this guy, Adam, who lived with us, he brought it home. And then a few days later, uh, he was going through it, and I was like, you know, I just kind of thumbing through it, too. And there was that record, the John Prine Live record, and uh, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash Storytellers, VH1 Storytellers, which is I just them. That. It's just them with two guitars and like just trading songs. 
and and that's it. And uh, and the rest of it was total shit. Like it was just bad, bad right, like right, right, you crap. know nine yeah bad stuff. There were some Christmas records in there too. I don't know whose wallet that was, but somebody <laughs> threw it out of a car, dropped it, and um, my dad was a big John Prine fan for my whole life, and I never it never clicked right. until. I got that, and I was playing more guitar at the time. I wasn't playing for money really yet, but those songs just kind of stuck with me. And then my first ever, like, pro, I mean, big air quotes, pro paying gig was a song called Blue Umbrella. And um, these are simple. There's, there's like, there's, well, I say they're simple, but, like, some of them structurally, some of the songs on that record are pretty simple, but um, they're very complex at the same time. There's very, yeah. They're very intentional lyrically, and just, they're just perfect. You know, I, I like them. So, so the John Prine live record, the only one on there that, and I realized that I only have one female vocal on this whole thing. All, all these I've picked yeah. and it's Bonnie Raitt on that. And it's not even my favorite version. I'd rather kind of, I kind of wish I love Bonnie Raitt, but I, I, I kind of wish it was just John singing that song, Angel from Montgomery. And that was recorded, I believe at a, uh, it was recorded a different place. It, no, it was. It was a different place. It was some sort. Of, yeah, I can't remember. I knew. I know where it was recorded, but I can't remember. But it was like a benefit show or something like that. Um, well, but but yeah. So I mean, Bonnie Raitt has. I mean, I, I listen to that, and then I've been hearing a lot, her a lot on radio, on the radio. Yeah. So I mean, her vocal is just. I it goes overlooked. It's awesome. Super clean, um, strong, great tremolo. Well, her dad was an opera singer. Well, there you you know, or, or not? Know no, Broadway, Toast of Broadway. Uh, yeah, John Rate, and um, but uh, and I actually just heard some. Oh, I put something on for my kid. I was listening. I was just driving, and we listened to all kinds of stuff while we're driving. And I put on a Randy Newman song, and um, and it pulled up with Bonnie Raitt's version of this song, and I was like, I never, I've never heard this, and um, I like Randy Newman's version better. Right. But her vocal was super. It wasn't cheesy, like it was a cover, but it wasn't. It was definitely her doing it, but it didn't feel strange, which is, I think, that's kind of a testament to her yeah. as a vocalist. Besides being an amazing guitar player, but well, you know, I mean, I like it when bands cover songs and don't try to recreate it the same way. So do I. You know, if you're gonna cover it, make it your own. Make it your own. Yep. Gin and juice that thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've never <laughs> talked to Kevin about that. Yeah, I've never I had... love it. I love. I just love that song, and I love that's that's the way we do it in my band. You know, we, we cover like straight up. Now tell me, Paul Abdul. We do. Oh yeah, yeah. Beastie Boys fight for your right to party. Uh, what else? Uh, a great uh, Eastbound and Down cover. It's, they're they're fun. Um, <clears throat> but yeah. So have you ever heard the uh, or seen the YouTube video of? Casey Musk Musgraves and John Prime. Mm, no, I don't think so. So he, he starts. They're sitting there. And he's, he goes, you know, there's, there's this girl. She came out. She tried to get me, get me high, and wasn't successful. And then she ends up writing this song called uh, "Burn One with John Prime." Oh no! I and she don't sings know that. it for him. I'll, I'll send you the link. But the lyrics are fantastic. Cause I ain't one to knock religion, although it's always knocking me, running with the wrong crowd, right where I want to be. I ain't good at being careful, just say what's on my mind. Like my idea of heaven is to burn one with John Prine. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that awesome? It's That's so fantastic. It's so classic. I mean, she's a great songwriter, too. Yeah, I don't know if John was still smoking. I don't think he was, man. For the, I mean, he did have the, I mean, he gave up cigarettes, you know, after the cancer. And I mean, 
he seemed like a pretty laid back guy. I, I only got to meet him twice and never got to play with him. I, I, that was my goal. That was my benchmark thing from the minute I started doing this was to, to open up for John Prine. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I got to open for Jason Wilbur, his guitar player yeah. and Dave Jakes, his bass player cut, uh, played bass on a song I wrote. Um, nice. And then I got to, and through John, I, I got hip to Todd Snyder when I was 19, 20, when I was yeah. living in LA. And, and there's another guy, I mean, before we started, we were talking about the stories and yeah. stuff and like that, you know, and at that time that was what in two 99, 99. Yeah. And, and Todd's live show, I only went because I, my dad had sent me this record and said, and they never came out to see me when I lived out there and I was living at the time. I was living in a Rite Aid parking lot and uh, at a P.O. box. And uh, uh, he said, my dad had written me a, wrote me a letter and said, I think this guy is playing at a place close to where you, your apartment is. I'd moved out of this apartment. I, right. It's a long story, but I just moved in. I packed my car up with my shit and then just stayed in the Rite Aid parking lot across the street, 30th and Pico or 29th and Pico. Somewhere. <laughs> and um, But Todd was playing at McCabe's. And and that was a record I was gonna put on here was this happy to be here record, um, and he when when I saw him do his thing, um, his stories were amazing, incredible, and his stage show was amazing, and then the songs were fucking great, awesome, and uh, um, and then like but I was already I'd learned all those John Prine songs from that right. from that CD and um, and then I finally got to see I I hadn't seen John live yet I don't think at that point and then I on the back after that I moved right. back to Ohio and then and then John was just perfect I mean the, his show too was besides the stories like he would walk with Jason and Dave out in single file and they'd all be wearing suits and just the three of them and it was just great <laughs> like everything was just fucking great about it so yeah, yeah I um, all music's uh, William Rollman said um, with Years of experience playing club dates, John Prine has evolved into a very entertaining live performer, and this album presents him at his intimate best, telling funny stories and performing his most impressive material in unadorned arrangements. Yeah, he's and, and I love that the I love that the stories are on the records. Yeah, um, and and you know the thing with like, and you go see like I love Ray Wiley. If you go see Ray Wiley. He, he's got his, his thing down. Yeah. I toured a lot with Slade Cleves and he's like a great friend of mine and he would tell you know, he would do a very similar show. He had his, his talking bits and, right. and he learned that from Ray and, you know, Hayes does that and Todd, I mean, he can riff, but he definitely had his, you know, he knew where home base was at, you know? Yeah. So when I started out as a solo artist, uh, that was, that, that was a big part of the show. Yeah. You know, really writing. I, I, when I lived in L.A., I was I was taking I auditioned to be in the Groundlings, this improv thing. And, okay. and then when I saw Todd, I was like, oh, I can do that. And then, you know, you can make him laugh and then hopefully you can make him cry or hopefully you can yeah. do either. Right. Get some sort of reaction out of people. But um, but I don't think that anybody's done the, the way that John Prine does it. And it's it's exemplified in this record is that it was effort. It's seemingly effortless, which yes. I'm sure it wasn't. But whatever he did, it just really felt like he was talking to you in this very calming way. Right. And um, the only other guy I've ever met that did that in such a natural, comforting way was a guy named Kent Finley, who used to own Cheatham Street yeah. Warehouse down in San Marcos. And when he would tell his stories, 
there was just something about and I loved him very much and uh he but it was it was it was like just somebody somebody you wanted to listen to and it was very comforting and it was funny you know tells, yeah. and it would sometimes there'd be a little curveball in there that right. you weren't expecting and um but I don't think anybody's ever done it better than Prine. And that's the difference between, say, a Dylan and a Prine, if you look at the live performance or something like that, where Bob Dylan does not talk. No, he does not. Um, he doesn't need to, and I don't want to change anything about him, but, you know, or Waits, Waits would have, like, this other kind of thing. He has this other stage show. Yeah. And, um, and you know, Randy Newman, I've got to see him a few times, and, you know, just, he's he's just him. You know, everybody's got their own thing, but for me, my number yeah. one desert island or whatever top five records yeah. is uh is is going to be that john prine record all right quiz question number one Hit me. it's gonna be about one of the stories on the live record here okay <laughs> prine's friend donnie fritz the lena man from alabama the, yes exactly yeah. okay i think you're gonna nail this one made so much money uh that his wife built a dream house who is he in the movies with was it a jackson brown chris christopherson that's right that's right good job good job I love this game. <laughs> I try not to make them too hard. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's let's move on. Um, John Coltrane, yes sir, and Johnny Hartman. Wow. I mean, do you remember Fast Times at Ridgemont High? You've yeah. seen that movie, right? Oh yeah. You remember yeah. when Damone is like, "Okay, Rat, when it comes to making out with a girl or anything like that, <laughs> always, always put on the first side of Zeppelin Four. Yeah. And then it cuts to him driving with with Stacy right in, in the in the passenger seat, and he's blaring cashmere off, off physical graffiti. It's kind of the the mood that that this mu- music puts me in that loving that sexy mood. Yeah, you know, it's so soft and so warm. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was released in 1963. It was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame 50 years later in 2013. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the only album on which Coltrane would record a vocalist. It's true. It's true. Which is really cool. It's very, very cool. And and the band is, it's my favorite train band. I think it was from 60 to 65. He had the same three guys. Um, and man, I'm, oh, I'm going to be an idiot. I can't remember his piano player's name. He's amazing. Um but they're, oh, I, I know it, and I'm just blanking. But um, and yeah, it's the only it's the only thing with vocals with with Train. Yeah. And I, for some reason, when I I went back and listened to this recently, and then I, I thought that in a sentimental mood was on it for first in my head, and I was which is my favorite Train song. Like I just love that's the Duke Ellington and Coltrane, mm-hmm. and that is like when I need to chill out, I put that on, and I and I'm just there. Yeah. But Johnny Hartman, uh. I think it's incredibly underappreciated as a vocalist. Um, I don't okay, think a lot of people so, even know about him. I mean, mainstream today, you know. So producer Bob Thiel, is that how you say his name? I have no know. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he, he Coltrane talked to, to um, Thiel and said, hey, listen, I want to do something with Hartman. And so when he went and talked to Hartman, Hartman was hesitant because he didn't really consider himself the jazz singer, didn't really think that he would bring much to the Coltrane stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and after that, basically, he encouraged uh, Hartman to go see Coltrane in Birdland, New York, see if something could be worked out. And then afterwards, they got together and they played some songs. And, but, okay, quiz question number two. You ready for this one? Uh, maybe. Okay. I'm, 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 this, be, this is my least uh, right, confident. It's, it's a one in six chance that you're going to get this right. Okay. 
Uh, Coltrane Hartman had decided on 10 songs for the record. Yeah. Uh, but en route to the studio, they heard Nat King Cole on oh, the radio. Blush Life. Gotta be. Damn. <laughs> on. <laughs> Spot on, dude. And uh, that's the only, and, and I don't even know the Nat King Cole version of that. I only know the, the, I mean, I know the instrumental version of Lush Life, and I know the Johnny Hartman version. Um, do you know that? You listen to that song? I, I yeah. listen to everything. Right. So that, that tune, what a fucking song that is. Like, I mean, it's just, it's such this, uh, I love the, and we'll probably get into it, and in in, there's another record that kind of vibes with that that is on yeah. my list here. But for a long time, that was, I mean, I was a barfly, and, and I liked the seedy places, and I liked the- Who doesn't? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's hands down my favorite track on the album, mainly because I, I think I can relate to it. Oh, it's great. Uh, so I mean, great. I mean, romance is mush, stifling those who strive. I'll live a lush life in some, some small, small dive, dive yeah. and there I'll be while I rot with the rest of, of those whose lives are lonely too. I mean, Jesus. Oh, it's down and out, man. It's a great down and out song. But also on that record, though, is My One and Only Love, which is like the, to me, is the quintessential version of that song. And it's just gorgeous. It's like the most gorgeous love song. And it's really hard to write like a real, I mean, they didn't write any of these songs. I'm trying to think who wrote My One and Only Love. Um, not Sammy Kahn. He wrote I'm track sure. two, I think. But, um, yeah, I don't know, but it's such the delivery is beautiful and trains just on it. That band is so good. They're so good. So each song, this this is one of the things that I loved about this record, and I, this also was very similar to what uh, Joe Jackson did on his uh, Big World album. Oh yeah, so I like Joe Jackson. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm going down a Joe Jackson rabbit hole right now, um, and then I got to jump on the Tom Waits tra train. I'll, uh, I'll help you with that if you want. Yeah, I, I do need it. Yeah. you know, each song was taken uh, was done in only one take. Except for "You Are Too Beautiful," which required two takes because Elvin Jones drops his drumsticks on the first take. <laughs> Dropped one of them. I think that's debated. I think it's debate. I think there were like a couple of multi like different takes, but no one's ever heard them. I think I heard a story about that one time where okay, like the so Coltrane Estate doesn't want to release them or something. You're nailing it. That's that what right? I was about to say. Yeah. 2005, the raw tapes were reviewed by uh, jazz archivist. Barry Kernfield, who said there were actually complete alternate takes for all six so six <laughs> songs. And he considered absolutely riveting, and the clear ownership of these tapes is established uh, by Coltrane and Universal Music. There's no plans for release of them. Well, enough people will die, and somebody will be like, "Oh, I can get paid on this," <laughs> okay, yeah. and they'll somebody will release them. I look forward to it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, what else? Tell me about this. I mean, so I mean, I can I can easily see this being a record that you want to wake up in the morning. Maybe grab the paper, have some coffee, and yep. just mellow out in the morning. Yeah. Well, I love, like, that's what, when my daughter was first born, that's pretty much, we were listening to, like, jazz standards a lot. And, because uh, it was relaxing, you know, trying to keep it, keep it calm when you got a baby in the house. But at the same time, I always, I like to listen, that's what I listen to to chill out. So, and that, and, and like, you know, again, the whittled down list, like, I'm a huge Sinatra fan. I'm a huge Tony Bennett fan. And I, and honestly, I'm a big fan of, you know, um, you know the Gershwins and you mm -hmm. know Cy Coleman and and uh, 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 Johnny Mercer, big Johnny yeah. Mercer fan. So like the songwriter as a, as a writer, um, and then I've noticed like Dylan in the past couple of years ago, you know, he he started releasing all these great American songbook records, 
and um and i cut one i've got a i've got a thing in the can with micah motenko and um a great rhythm section or i just i just croon and and we were doing that around that time for for about two years micah and i were doing um dates at the continental gallery oh cool and uh, and it was great because i didn't have to carry anything right so he would i would just put a suit on and i looked like it it made me look like a it was like a, it was like an ambu like like a Jerry Springer makeover where nice. they forgot to like cut the hair and shave the guy, you know. <laughs> um, but I love, I just love those songs. Like the the songs, the the poems are great, um, mm-hmm. and the moves and the the music is just it's incredible. It's phenomenal. It's way more complex than a lot of the things that I other things I really like that I generally do on a regular basis. Like John Prine, he would joke that he learned three chords when he was. Yeah, fifteen or whatever, and then he never learned any more of them, which isn't totally true, but but when you listen to like these old songs, these jazz songs and standards, they're just beautiful. So f- for me, like to kind of, and, and it's also not something I do. I mean, I did that gig, I have that gig, but it's it's kind of on. It's it's very sporadic. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of nice to listen to people doing something where it doesn't feel like you're at work you know or like and i'm not and i don't encounter a lot of other songwriters that are writing those kind of songs um just a few people i know that kind of write in that way and it's just refreshing it's 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 almost like it's something brand new something that's so old it's just brand new yeah and it's almost too precious to to screw up you know yeah no i i love that insight that's really cool and they tracked everything live which you know, I'm not a purist, but there is a lot to that where it sounds like it, you know. And I th- I think they went direct to tape too. Yeah, direct like to no tape. Like no post mix. Yeah. Which is super impressive. Yeah. They're just that good. Yeah. Where I don't and nothing take not taking anything away from any of our peers or contemporaries, but everybody's gotten lazy because you know it's digital and even if you are it. tracking the tape, most of the time people will track to digital and then run it to tape and then back. So you still have chances. But if you have no chance yeah. You got to get it right, man. You got to step up and do that. And those guys do it. You know, I mean, I asked Chipman the other day, I said, Hey, you know, how much work do you think it took? You know, not just from the band. He's like, well, the, you know, the, the, they're professionals. They're all, they'll do this. And I said, yeah, but all, I mean, all the sound, all that, you know, wherever they recorded it, you know, but, but there's gotta be so much like work that goes in before that. Uh, Sputnik music said essential for avid and casual fans of jazz alike. And highly recommended for any music lover, John Coltrane and Johnny Hartman is a masterpiece of remarkably presented jazz, perfect for late nights, alone with company, romantic, skillful, and wonderfully smooth. This is Hartman at its finest hour, an outstanding display of Coltrane's versatility, and one of the finest, most beautiful moments in the history of the genre. I, I agree. I'm getting all sorts of chills today. Well, I'll tell you, there's a weird thing. That, so this is not on my list, but the when I worked at... Uh, I think it was either when I, I think it's when I had my college radio show and there was this bin of stuff that nobody wanted. And there was a, either that or I, cause I was at the same time I was working at a, I used more of the buy your CDs or you buy and sell CDs. Yeah. And I know I got it in a bin and they were like the same bin and both like nobody wanted this stuff, but there was, it was the bridges of Madison County soundtrack and like okay. any soundtrack I would just grab. Cause I just loved like comps and you'd never know what you find. Yeah. And that's where I first heard Johnny Hartman, and that was Clint Eastwood did all the music stuff for that. And he might be a little nutty now; he's still, but he's a big jazz fan. And it was like mainly on that soundtrack, which is a, it's solid, man. It's really solid because it's got Dinah Washington doing some great songs. She's insane. And yeah, and Johnny Hartman does. Um, oh man, oh, uh, 
Oh, what's he's got a couple on there, but it's uh, for all we know, which is, which I think we we cut that on that on the little jazz thing I did that we haven't put out. But yeah, it's such, and I think it's it's completely derivative of Johnny Hartman's thing. It's not me. I don't sing. I don't don't have that kind of. I can't even get get as low as he can. But um, so good. I I highly recommend anybody who hasn't listened to Johnny Hartman to. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, so. Two of these albums, you know, like this, what's that? The sixty percent of your album, I mean, forty percent of your albums are jazz, for the most part. Sort of, yeah. I think Tom Waits is pretty jazzy. This one is, yeah, yeah, it is. It uh, has a lot of, but but at the same time, it's almost country. There's there's a like when you listen to, uh, well, I'll let, I won't I won't jump in on you. No, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm switching to that album right now. Yeah, so that one, like when we talk about Lush Life, mm-hmm. I swear, I mean, I would bet green money. That Tom Waits knows every word to Lush Life, and 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 so this, mm-hmm. was, especially totally. on in this period of of Waits, so this was '76. It was, and um, but I mean, there's some stuff like it's this is the follow up to uh, Heart of Saturday Night, um, and then if you go back with him a little bit, you go to those demos. There's a couple of demo records or whatever they're called, but that stuff's like country songs. Like they're just, it's him on a guitar and it's three chords. There's nothing special about it. Um, it's special, but it's not, it's not groundbreaking on music. this record. No, no, no. If oh. you go back like a okay. couple of releases. Yeah. So there's like, even in closing time, um, which was his first like studio record. Um, before that there's, there was a, he, there's some unreal, there's a couple of like, I forget what they're called, but it's like demos or something like that. Uh, early years or something. Yeah. And but those are like you know he's just this basically a folk country singer not not vocally but the structure wise was there it was about the same okay so then it kind of progresses in the hardest Saturday Night like you know that's got sorry I think hardest Saturday Night has old fifty five on it I'm pretty sure with the Eagles cut and like I'm not sure um but the hardest Saturday Night that song that's you know that's just a it's just a great song. And then you get into Small Change, which is how I got hip to him. I was in a right. band in Ohio called the Whiskey Hounds and then for a short time. And then I, they were my friends. They let me in the band, figured out I wasn't really supposed to be there. And then I wasn't in the band anymore. But <laughs> but those cats uh, up in Akron and Kent, they there was a big Tom Wheat. Like, he was a god. They loved yeah. him up there. And I never got it. I was like, I don't get it, man. Like, I don't I think you find things at certain points in your life when you're supposed to find them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I had moved to Texas, and I was—I remember I played at that San Marcos down. At, oddly, right. weird tie in there, but I was driving home, and it was Fat Tuesday, or Wednesday, or something like that. They had a songwriter mm-hmm. night down there, so and I had—I probably shouldn't have been driving, but I was driving home from San Marcos, and I hit—I um, hit the the radio, and it was KGSR back when KGSR was still KGSR, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I know this this one song called "Invitation of the Blues." I know now that it's like six six minutes and change. Yeah. But I still contend to this day that I got from San Marcos, like downtown San Marcos, to my apartment at Woodward between Woodward and Old Torf on the Access Road, and that song played the whole time. And I know I wasn't driving <laughs> three hundred miles an hour, but and then I went to Waterloo the next day, and they would let you listen to the record, and I just and I listened to that song. I listened to the first track. And which is um, Tom Trubert's Blues, Waltz and Matilda, and then I, and then I listened to Invitation of Blues, and I just I was like, nope, I'm good. I'm gonna buy this, and 
it really changed a lot of stuff for me, man. It really did. It was a, it's a big record in my life. This was also recorded directly to two-track tape. I know. I know. Um, and his vocal just, I mean, if, I feel like he, he, you take Louis Armstrong and you put Helen Wolf in a blender and you blend it up and that's what you get. Yeah, he started getting grav- like growly. Uh, on on more so yeah uh and then it gets it gets it, when you when you keep going down the weights rabbit hole i mean we get into like bone machines stuff like that it gets it, it well, very much um um uh captain beefheart as well it, when mm-hmm. he, that that kind of comes in more later but yeah very very louis armstrong very howling wolf on these on that record yeah i, I think we all know that uh, Waits was pretty much method acting his way through the 70s as an alcoholic vagrant, right? Yeah. Um, that in mind, I went ahead and decided that I should definitely have a few tequilas before and <laughs> yeah. during listening. Yeah. And I did it, and I, th- I think it worked. I mean, it's, it's that kind of record, you ask me. Um, but have you ever heard the story about him and Keith Richards? W- which one? Okay, so... The one when they're sitting around writing, he's and Waits is like, "Wow, I mean, he's amazing. He doesn't write anything down or anything." And then one time he looks at me and he goes, "Scribe!" <laughs> and he, Waits was like looking around, and he, Keith was just pointing at him. He's like, "You're supposed to be writing all this down." <laughs> no, I never heard that. Oh, it's so funny. I did get to play. A good friend of mine played drums for Waits for seven years, and then um, he played on uh, Frankie's Wild Years and on. Um, uh, oh man, too many records in my head right now. It's a huge record, a huge, big weights record. Yeah. Um. Oh man, Michael's gonna kill me. Yeah, I better. Oh well. That'll that'll spark some Tom Waits memories there. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm telling you, it helps. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about Tom Waits. Yeah. Um. Oh man, why can't I remember any names to anything right now? It's uh. Oh, oh! This is terrible. It's being recorded. I'll get called no. out. No, Bones Howe, the album's producer, yeah. calls. This goes to Tom Trubert's Blues. When Waits first came to him with the song Tom Trubert's Blues, he said the most wonderful thing about writing the song. He went down, hung around on Skid Row in L.A. because he wanted to get stimulated for writing this material. He called me up and said, "I went down to Skid Row, brought a pint of rye and a brown paper bag." It's pretty good, Tom Waits. And I said, "Oh, really?" He said, "Yeah, hunker down." Drank the pint of rye, went home, threw up, and wrote Tom Trubert's Blues. Every guy down there, everyone I spoke to, a woman put him there. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's true. Which is be beautiful, you know? I mean, that's, I love, that's how you're going to write a song. Yeah. I mean, well, I think there's something to that. And I think uh, Rain Dogs was the record I was thinking of. But, but, but the, uh, you know, I think that there's something also to be said for kind of his progression in his career and how he, you know, I mean, we're having a tequila right now. I certainly haven't gone on the on the full time wagon. But um, when I was listening to when I really got into that, like, you know, I, I, I can joke about it now. But I mean, I, I definitely I definitely over imbibed uh, on a regular basis, like w- way too much. And uh, it nearly cost me a lot of things. It, it cost me some time in my life and it cost me some a lot of money. And uh, but luckily I was able to walk away from that. But at the at the you know, at that, when I got into that record, boy, I was writing so many, I was writing a yeah. lot, boy. And I was, and it was, and it was just <laughs> on bar napkins. And, and, you know, for years I'd been kind of hanging out in seedy joints and f- seeking those places out, reading Charles Bukowski and, um, listening to a lot of Tom Waits. And I, you know, again, I laugh about it and, and I have no apologies for any of that part of it. Yeah. 
Um, but I was fascinated by that, that mystique and that sort of, you know, <laughs> but, but I think the cool thing is that, you know, he, he, he did hit a point where he was like, Nope. He met his wife is what happened. Catherine Brennan. And, okay. uh, and then he, he cleaned up and, and then he took a, he took like this sharp 90 degree turn and, and kept being prolific and kept making crate and kept pushing the boundaries. And when I look at an artist like that, or like Dylan or like, you know, Oh, I mean, you know, Wilco does that to some extent too, you know, like they, they, when they're not satisfied and they kind of keep evolving and, mm-hmm. and trying different things. Um, he's consistently been, I don't know. I mean, I think that that was between that one and mule variations for me, but that, this is the one that really like turned me around. And also this one has like, you know, Tom Schubert's blues is I would come home. I was living when, when we, (laughs) I would come home late at night. My wife hosted it and we lived in Austin and she hosted a TV show on the CW. It was a late night show. Okay. And I would come in just. You know, three sheets to the yeah. wind in Copenhagen, right? And I would and I would come in and I would sit down at this old piano and I would play that song. Luckily, you know, it's this old pure and beam house and there were no neighbors and it was it was still it was the east side, but it was still like the real east side before, you know, white people moved in, honestly. And uh I wasn't worried about anybody calling the cops and right. I'd just be singing, you know, oh, it's in <laughs> you know, just slurring my words, but I would fall asleep on the keyboard oh. listening to, or singing these songs. But you know, and I wish I was in New Orleans is on that record, which is just like every time I go to New Orleans or every time I'm thinking about New Orleans. Um you know, there's just there's some some real gold. And there's also like these there's these wonderful ballads and really just the lyrics on that record that i mean he does it all the time but the lyrics on that record there are some turns of phrase on there that nobody in their right mind should ever have come up with right that work so well and and they just blow me away i listened to this the other day because i knew we were doing this and i and i was like oh yeah geez i forgot about how good that is like I mean, some, some of the piano's been that. drinking. That's just this, oh, it's like I this mean, writing exercise that just works yeah it was <laughs> it, amazing it, i really loved it i mean it, I just felt like it was a fantastic album. Yeah, I'm glad that you listened to it. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I mean, so here's the deal. You know, I'm a big fan of the record and the art of the album, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. so like, I, I don't want to say, like, I do say this to some people, like, I don't really get Towns Van Zandt. Really, I I don't get it yet. It doesn't it doesn't appeal to me yet, and I'm a songwriter, which is which is weird, right? And so well, you know, I, I, yeah. I tell my friend, tell my friend. <laughs> My, my buddy, I'm like, I did just make me a playlist or something, but I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think it's better to go back and rabbit hole and listen to the albums. Well, so for me, because Towns was definitely in my top ten. There's the, the live at the old quarter. I was gonna go about that this. Was on, the, uh, that was on. John. Pl- I mean, Jeff Plankenhorn's top five. It's amazing. It's it's an amazing. And I was actually when we were when I was planning for this and you were asking me for these records, I was trying to like categorize, like narrow it down, give myself some more parameters here. So I was going to do all live records, you know, um, and that would have totally been in there. That That's the way for me. And Mickey White, who played guitar with him, is a friend of mine, and he's actually going to come and cut some. Jamie Harris and I are going to do some nice. some town songs uh, that haven't been on a bunch of town's tribute stuff. So we're going to kind of dig deep. But Mickey's going to come in and play some guitar for us. Cool. And we're really excited about that. But overall, with Towns, um, who is another guy who, like, definitely lived 
yeah, lived the the life. You know, he 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 walked the walk, but the live stuff for me, especially that era of him, he's he's on. It's and that's two it's two CDs, but mm-hmm. I mean it's probably like twenty plus songs, and um, that's if I were you, I would say start there, do that for towns because his the studio albums for me are not my favorite thing. There's there's things going on where the production. I don't know if he ever. It's so I don't know sad, but it's like it seems to me like if he was around when in this era of producers that kind of really catered to the song or could or could get weird with it, but yeah. still keep the integrity of this folk song, um, one only you know could guess what they could have done with a guy like that. But he just by himself with a guitar is is and that's kind of it's the pure. Way, yeah it's pure and there's mistakes and that's you know. It's great, and he also was really funny. Like he had some really good stage yeah. stuff too. I need to go back and listen to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I'll get your recommendations on the other Tom Waits that I need to listen to. If Keith liked him, I have to like him. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. So I was flewing this thing with Michael Blair, who played drums on on uh, Rain Dogs and Frankies, and and uh, and they and he was like he asked if myself and Graham Wilkinson would come. We were both we were all doing this festival in Arkansas. And he said oh, they wanted me to do like basically a weights retrospective of the stuff I played on. Would you do Tom's part? And I was like, Oh, you gotta be yeah. kidding me. Um, I already loved the guy, you know, Michael already. And, um, and so we did, we did that. And then there's a song called, uh, uh, Oh man, is it, uh, uh blind love, blind love. Uh-huh. It's a Keith and weights tune. Um, and if you haven't heard that song, blind Keith love. sings on it too. You'll love it. You'll okay. like it. And it's like totally, you can totally tell that Keith had a hand in it. Um, and it's killer. I would love to do that with my, with the band. Like I would love to do that with the band. I'm a yeah. huge Keith guy too. So that's, I, I mean, yeah. so some people I think think that's cliche, but I don't care. I, I feel, I that, don't, I, I think feel, it's underrated as I, a songwriter. I feel, honestly. I think all of the stone songs that are my favorites are all the ones that he wrote and sing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think he had a bigger hand in writing a lot of the other ones that he doesn't sing. Then he probably gets credit for, but yeah, nothing well. against Mick Jagger. He's also very good. They're they're a pretty good band. They're, they're I pre- mean, we they're can pretty just good duo, right? Alert the media. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Bob Dylan, this um, Bob Dylan has been chosen second most of all artists in the top five, five records podcast history. Okay, um, this one has not been chosen. Uh, it was released in '85. There were fifty-three released and released on that on the the box set i guess we'll call it and 18 of them were unreleased tracks mm-hmm. it's been certified platinum and here's a quiz question for you you ready for this yeah okay this will be tough all right um only a few of dylan's albums previous to this release did not have a track on this box set which one of the following albums was represented so it was represented okay a infidels, B blood on the tracks, blood or, on the tracks, nailing it, dude, nailing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some outtakes too. My favorite song in the whole thing is an outtake from Blood on the Tracks that now I think more people have heard because they've released it on a bootleg series. I think bootleg series 15 or right 16, but yeah. Well, all music said about this, and I love this. Um, 
following biograph, multi-disc box sets for veteran rockers became accepted as almost the norm. But that doesn't discount the set's strengths as a summary of Dylan's career using the familiar and rare to draw a fully rounded portrait of his strengths as a songwriter, musician, and record maker in a way that conventional choices alone could not achieve. Yeah, it's uh, so I got this thing when I was in Kent, Ohio. A friend of mine said that he was changing directions or something, and he had like Case Logic big ones, the big books. Mm-hmm. And he was selling, he was like, Do you want, like, I'll sell this to you for like 50 bucks. And it was like one of those 100 discs things or 50, you know, big yeah. one. Um, most people listening to the, I, I feel like we, we understand this, yes. but I'm wondering if anybody under the age of 30 will have any idea what that is. But, um, <laughs> But that was it was like a lot of the Dylan albums um, on CD, but it also had this biograph thing. And I was like, what the hell is this thing? And um, and it was it was a perfect because I, I liked Bob Dylan. I knew a little bit. I did. I wasn't like I wasn't like a head. Right. Um, but this thing turned me around. And I think it's a great talk. Another introduction into, you know, if, if there is somebody that says they don't like Bob Dylan, like, you know yeah you do but you just don't know it yet like check this out and uh, it again here's another one that i don't get yep i don't get bob dylan I just, what do you think after you listen to i, I know it's a long thing it, it is long yeah and i don't like to look at it like i had to do it i get to do that and yeah. that's one of the things i love about this podcast is i get to listen to these this music that i don't ever listen to and i get to appreciate the people and why they chose it yeah well the, the cool thing about this one is that you know there are the hits most of his you know he never really had like a hit like a number one hit or anything like a Rolling Stones, a big song, you know, yeah. and there's some, you know, times there are change, seminal uh, pieces for, you know, one of those songs for most artists, that's your whole career. And he's had so many of them, but he, uh, the thing I like about this set is that, or, and I don't even think of it as a set cause I just got of his three CDs and I just right. think of it as this like, you know, three, this thing. Um, but there's, there's other songs. And honestly, I like the versions on this. Like the, there's some live, cuts mm-hmm. of this like visions of johanna um i prefer it to the blonde on blonde version of it um there's um there's a what is it a romance in durango it's a live thing yeah and to hear that this way and then go back and hear a studio version of it it's it kind of sucks yeah. to go backward with it for me at least um and then but up to me is on there and and that's that's the that's when i would do when I when I moved here and I was playing the Cactus a lot, that was my home club. And Griff Lundberg was running it at the time, and he really was so kind to me and was just a great champion of mine and, and a friend. And um, he would always fuck with me and say like, "It's like, well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, Graham? You gonna go play Desolation Row, which is a, like <laughs> like a twelve minute song?" And I'm like, "No." And I've never been able to do that. I don't know anybody that's ever successfully pulled off Desolation Row, but this song is like it's like six plus, and mm-hmm. I think there's eleven verses. And it's it's off blood on the tracks like outtakes, um, and it's so good. There's so many. It's another one with like this poetry, this imagery. It's it's like kind of t- it's like a tangled up in blue and a simple twist of fate kind of. Right. Yeah. Both yeah. of those songs are you can tell like he was in this groove, and this one was just one where he, he he fleshed it out. It's a real song, and then there's other versions of it now where you can hear like there's alternate takes of it. So it's like it wasn't this just thrown together thing, but to for me it was like this thing that i found it was like whoa like what wow and i didn't know that nobody else knew it really because i didn't have liner notes for it or anything so i was just like i was like what is this song this is crazy so that was one of my when i was learning 
I would go put myself through the through the steps of like learning these really long songs. And I was writing, looking back on it, like my first couple albums, like there's there's some there's some very like six seven verse songs. I don't do that anymore for many reasons. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a little it's a little much for me. Bob Dylan can get away with it. Tom Waits can get away with it. I don't think I can. And and also uh, I can't remember that much stuff anymore. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, it is. But I can still remember pretty much all to me. And we're doing a thing. Um, I don't know when this is going to come out, but on the 22nd of May, I'll be flying back from Kansas City, and my friend Graham Wilkinson and I are starting this charity series called Graham's Give Back. And our first show was one that Wilkinson had put together. It was called Bob versus Bob. It's going to be at Far Out Lounge. And it's like a bunch of awesome people from around town are coming to do. Some are doing both a Bob Marley song and a Bob Dylan song. Huh. And and then, but there's a lot of people doing Bob Dylan songs. I'm only going to play Bob Dylan songs. I love, I like Bob Marley, but I, I don't really have, I don't have a tune to to throw in the mix on that. But I'm not sure what I'm going to play yet. But it may very well be. It, see how self indulgent I want to be. My name's on the poster and everything, so <laughs> I might as well try to do I, I the uh, up to me. I yeah. want to get Wilkinson on this podcast too. Oh man, he's the sweetest guy. He'll 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 talk more than I talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, New York Times said, art is not history. It lives on escaping time. The way that Mr. Dillon's art lives is through is through its recorded documentation. Biograph, despite some omissions and oddities, contains more striking songs, more stirring modern po- poetry, more mesmerizing musical performances than you're likely to encounter in any similar five-record set. For this album, Mr. Dillon doesn't ask us to forget or forgive. He stakes his claim and does so most convincingly. Yeah, it spans over 20, it's about 20 years, right? I think like 65, 60, yeah, about 20 years. Yeah, uh, yeah, over like 60, 35 years, three, yeah, oh, yeah, 85. Yeah. No, no, it's 20, 20 years at that point. I think, I think, it goes, oh, I'm sorry, I, I think you're the talking last about since t- t- today. Oh, no, no, I think that the last track on it was from 81, yes, if I'm not mistaken, that is correct, but um, but yeah, it's so good, and it's just like. So I, I when you asked me about this, I did like think, I did not want to put box sets on it because I could have just done that, and I don't really think of that uh, collection as a box set. But you know, if you're gonna be, uh, you said you said this, I, this is when I got into my study of Dylan. It is. It was. It was definitely the door. So yeah. well, you know, I mean, I want to, and I don't. I I don't think that I had one guy, Weldon Henson. Do you know who he is? <sighs> Country crooner. Uh, really, really awesome country voice. I've heard that name. Yeah, I'd love uh, to. I'd love to see him. And he's uh, so bi- he picked uh, Hank Junior's Greatest Hits. Because okay. I know you probably don't like Greatest <laughs> Hits, but I wore this one out. <laughs> yeah. And so all the quiz questions were all about the, like lyrics of the songs. So um, let's talk about Wilco. So Wilco has not been on this podcast at all. Really? 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 Uh, yeah. Nobody? Nobody. No, All right. Not a soul. Well, you have it on your wall. I, yeah, I haven't been on my podcast yet, though. Okay. That's coming soon. All right. Um, but being there. So this is... Uh, I loved the first four albums of Wilco. Yeah. Um, my top five record is AM. I have a whole story behind it um, that I won't tell right now. But this is a, an amazing record, and I remember it. And, and so, by the way, you're driving around. You got the out of sight on... The second side. Which one? Yeah. The second one. That's the kind of the the, chill the, one? the Sesame Street version. Right? Yeah, That's yeah. what that you kids listen to, right? <laughs> well, it was. I love that it was self-produced. Yeah. By Wilco, I think that is awesome. And when you listen to it with headphones on, it's a different game. It's killer. It, it, it it's insane. 
Um, I'd say post AM, every Wilco record with headphones is pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I just love the thing that I love about AM is it's it's so much more stonesy. Oh, totally. And, you know, it's oh, like uh, Casino yeah. Queen, all that, all that. And I mean, Monday is the same, that same vibe. But, uh, Very much you know, so. they entered the studio pretty much right after Uncle Tupelo broke up, did the AM thing. And, you know, they had di- disappointing sales. Uh, they hit the road. They kind of, you know, got their chops together and they came to the studio, you know, ready, hungry to hungry to record. Uh, each song was practiced, recorded and mixed in only one day. One day. Yeah. 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 I've heard that story. I don't know how true that is. I feel uh, like well, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know either, man. I would wonder if they weren't working stuff out on the road a little bit. But. Yeah, but I mean, you know, get in the studio, you yeah. say we're going to do the song, whatever. Uh, Tweety decided that he wanted to release all the material, double CD. This is a very cool thing. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. yeah. So, go ahead. Well, they wanted it priced properly. Yeah. They, they wanted, wanted it priced like a single. Single album as yep. a double. Yeah. Yeah. And so to do it, you know, double albums at that point were like 30 bucks. I remember. 18 was probably around. You they know, were harder to steal, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, uh, Tweety approached the label. He, he came to the label and reprised and said, said, listen, you know, I'll take the hit on this. So I'll take the royalties for yeah. only. He lost like, a lot of money on that. Deal. 600K. Oh. <laughs> when, when's that number from? I wonder uh, if it's. By 2003, it was oh, estimated yeah. they lost nearly 600K. He's probably lost about a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question. So this is one of the things I started thinking about while I was listening to this record. Um, you know, what other double albums are legendary like this? Okay, we, we've already talked about Exile. We mentioned graffiti, physical graffiti. Yeah. Uh, let's see, After the Gold Rush. Neil Young. Yeah. Harvest. Dou- was Harvest a double album? Yeah, Harvest was a double is album. It, I think. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, uh well blonde on blonde was a double, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, well, I could dive into. I mean, another part of my life. That's the thing my wife was telling me because we talked about this a lot. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what the hell to do here. And I had this twenty plus records, and I was like a big hip hop kid, like in the nineties, and uh, in the early two thousands, and then not so much anymore. But I still like that stuff. But there was a the Notorious B.I.G.'s record that Life After Death was a double album and. Tupac made a record called All, All Eyes on Me, which was also a double album, which is, which are both like seminal, rec- like they're they're cornerstones of that genre. Yeah, um, those are big doubles. And um, London Calling, London Calling was a double record. Yes, was it? Was it Four Sides? Um, yeah, White Album, Pink Floyd, The Wall, White, White Album, yeah, 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 Live yeah, at the yeah, yeah, East. yeah. Quadrophenia is a double record. Yeah, it is. Um. So, I mean, it's all good company. If you got the stuff, you know, yeah. and, and if the, the label filler, lets you do it, yeah. I guess at the time. No filler. That's bullshit. All right, quiz question. Yeah, there's no real filler on, on being there. No. Like, that's they do it's, they do two versions of one song, but they're totally different. And, um, yeah, anyway, quiz quiz me. I'm into it. Quiz. Being there was uh, was the last recording on a Wil- Wilco album by which multi-instrumentalist? A, Max Johnson. B, Jay Bennett. It's Max Johnson. You're killing it, dude. Yeah. That was Jay's first record. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just love how misunderstood. Like that. Well, that one, and, that, and there's so many like foreshadowing things of what they were going to do. Yes. Um, when you go back and listen, because I honestly, I got into them 
uh, around the time of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, like, and, and, and kind of worked my way back and Michelle or Michelle, my wife, well, my wife and I, we ended up going, being able to go. My sister knew them a little bit. Mm-hmm. She was on Wilco way before I was my little sister. And then yeah. we went to Pittsburgh and she introduced me to John Starrott and then he invited us back to like hang out. And then like that sort of started this like two, three year thing where we were able to like show up and get backstage and yeah. in, in like Pittsburgh and Detroit and, you know, Ann Arbor and like places in the Midwest. I, when I moved to Austin, I called the favor and once fairly soon after and they were in Houston and, and, and John's sister, Lori walked some tickets out to us and it was amazing and they were great. But then when I moved to Austin, which is a big Wilco town, like mm-hmm. this is a, this is a good stop for them. Huge. And so I never have, uh, didn't try to like press my luck on it too much yeah. after that. <laughs> but, but what they, what they do on that, on the transition between AM and, and being there is you see all these things like misunderstood and, um, sounds a lot more sounds, and then they do Summer Teeth after that, which again is an amazing album. Yeah, um, super cool. And then they get to Yankee Hotel with the Billy Bragg, Wilco, the well, you got three stuff in between, but the because Yankee Hotel was gonna be it, that was my first thought, and then I was like, well, what it really got me it's, hooked. I, I did some research and I like looked at all Wilco albums and how they were ranked. Mm-hmm. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was on top of almost every list, yeah. It's it's damn near perfect, and it and it has all the transitions like Abbey Road, which is another record I thought. Yeah. But but I've always wanted, to, and I have not done that yet. I've made a lot of records, but I've never made this. This it feels like a cohesive piece yeah. with everything kind of flowing in. There's little stuff, you know, and um and little callbacks. If you listen to Yankee Hotel, and I know we're not talking about that record, but like there are little there's there's pieces of the other songs in other songs, mm-hmm. which I always found to be brilliant yeah i really do i think it's really smart yeah but but being there to me like if i if i'm gonna sit somewhere i fell asleep to this record last night woke up and it was on repeat and i listened to the second half of it about four in the morning (laughs) and i just was like yeah this is totally on my list because this is there's everything about this and and they have um greg leeds plays steel on one song and he's just a great steel he plays on the lonely one which is like man that song it's right here yeah, it, it it can break it, that one. Will, that's there's like certain songs that'll just like I'm getting the goosebumps now. Yeah. That song will. I have been when I'm super down and like usually traveling alone. Right. You know, I'll have my headphones on and just like, you know, my just plant my my forehead against the plane window or something and listen to the lonely one and repeat and just live in it I for mean, a while. I you love know? his vocal on that. Oh, You're so good. The way that he just. It, it, that you, you could feel what he's saying. Yeah, his singing. The break in his voice on that record is, it's just really good. He's got. I love Jeff Tweedy, and and I, I mean, I'm just a huge fan of that. My band. wife hates Jeff Tweedy. Really? Yeah. I will try to sneak in like a Golden Smog song, Pecan Pie, or something like that. Oh and, yeah, he used to play that one all the time. And she, yeah. she's like, who is this? This is terrible. I'm like, what is she like? <laughs> she likes the blues. And she likes a little hip hop. All right. She, Let's she, see gotta, if you can go five for five out. on yeah. your quiz questions. Now today. I really want to find something for your wife. Yeah. <laughs> i got to figure this out. Uh, on what song did all the band members play different instrument what what they re- regularly play on the rest of the album? Is it A, Sunken Treasure, uh, B, Misunderstood? Misunderstood in the, in the weird part. Yeah. Five for five. Yeah. Five for five. That's awesome. 
Um, but Sunken Treasure, what a great time that oh, is. Oh, jeez. I mean, there's so many. I love Out of Sight. I love Monday. Monday, I mean, Monday is, it's kind of like that super stonesy feel. It's you know? super stonesy, but you're in a band too. So, like, you like, there's like, you know, he's, what is it? He's a cleaning his van with his left arm tan like the left arm tan line that is the perfect thing for anybody that's ever been in a band that's been driving around casino queen off am yeah. uh, about a guy who had a pretty good band but he couldn't understand why no one would go you know yeah. I, I i don't know if that's a dig at farrar because there's dig at farrar earlier when he mis- misunderstood when he says you're i've that, heard that yeah mama's boy yeah I, the nice thing is is like i've known i've heard that story but i don't and i and maybe that's true but I think you can interpret the good it's to me like the best songs, right? Or you can interpret them either way. It's something that you make it your own. You you have your own uh, connotation with everything, right? And and I've listened to that song and thought about myself, thought about other guys I know, other people I you know, just you know, it's it's just a testament to I'd say that record of all of these more than any where there are songs where they have changed shape. Yeah. And meaning over the years, because I've consistently listened to that record for over, well, you know, 20 that's, plus years. That, that means those are good songs. Yeah. Yeah. Dudes know what they're doing. Yeah. They, they <laughs> fucking, hell yeah, they do. So. Okay. Well, um, all music said, if being there isn't Wilco's best album, it's one that staked their claim as the most important as an important American band. It's a rich, dazzling experience from beginning to end. And I could not agree with that more. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, to me, like it's the Heartbreakers, which I don't have any. I don't have any Tom Fetty on here. I realized that yesterday. I was like, "What did I not? How did I not have Tom Fetty and the Heartbreakers on here?" The Dirty Knobs are coming to town. I know, I know. I think next I'm gonna be Saturday, out of town. I think. Yeah, next Saturday. I'll be in. I'll be on that beach where I'm gonna bring these records yeah, on my phone right. and I'm gonna chill out. <laughs> no, I'd love to see that. Um, I can't wait to go. Um, yeah. So so. Tell us where they can find you online, Graham. So, yeah, uh, uh, GrahamWeber.com, G-R-A-H-A-M-W-E-B-E-R.com. That's my my site. And then uh, Western-Youth.com. Uh, and then I'm on Instagram at G-Dub, G-D-U-B 5000, G-Dub 5000 on the, on the IG. And, uh, and I'm on Facebook under my own name. Facebook. Cool. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on either of those either. Yeah, I don't know how any of that works. I, I don't. I don't even know if I want to learn. I, I don't want to learn. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I want to like. I'm happy to like. If if it's if people tell me how important it is, and I'm like, that's cool. Um, I just need an intern, man. Yeah. There's, there's like there's <laughs> kids. This is a college town here, man. There's got to be kids that know how to work this thing. So, no doubt. Well, anything else you want to say to the listeners? Man, I just I'm just honored to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. And um, you should see Graham. He looks awesome. He's got his John Prine hat on. <laughs> look awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. Thanks for doing this with me. Thanks, man. Thank appreciate you so much. it. Adios. Man, that was a hoot. Loved that conversation, and he nailed all of the quiz questions. You can find them on the web. You can see that in the notes here. But if you got the gumption, head over to TheBigGunShow.com and check out what my band is up to these days. You can also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube with a handle of the Big Gun Show Band. That's the at the beginning, band at the end. And when you can get out 
Jenny's Little Longhorn Saloon. First Friday of every month. Home of Chicken Chip Bingo. We play the first happy hour Friday of every month. Bring Grandma. I promise she'll have a blast. Now close your eyes. You're on that deserted beach again. What five records do you have? Until next time. Stoned again.